Welcome, everyone. Uh, if you're listening online, welcome to you, too. Um, wasn't that a great worship set? Holy cow, it was awesome. Great job, man. Even though I don't think they're in the room right now. Um, so as the buckets are being passed, um, if you don't know me, my name is Jake Blaukamp. Um, I'm the pastor here at Access at Resurrection Life Church. And, you know, I was thinking about um, being here in this moment, the first couple things I was going to say to you, and what I really felt like I needed to say is how much I enjoy being with all of you, how much I enjoy being here, how much I enjoy your company. So I just want to say thank you for being here and being involved and, and being a part of the bigger picture than just church, you know? I'm so excited that there's so many people who are passionate about Jesus who are not just passionate about access. That's the thing I love about this group of people. So thank you very much. Um, I'm gonna, before I get started... Um, are the buckets done? I'm just going to pray quick. Dear God, thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that I don't need to bring anything to it. I just need to let it speak for itself. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you teach me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you teach every single person in this room the exact thing they need to hear. I thank you, God, that you are so good and that you want to do so much more than our expectations. So we lay down our expectations, we lay down our, our, our anticipations, and we just say, God, have your way. God, do what only you can do, which is miraculous. We love you, and we praise you, and we're so excited in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Now, have you ever heard the, the phrase, uh, timing is everything? Have you heard that? Yeah. One person, great. Um, so I was thinking of things, and... Um, I was talking to Nick about this. You know, in what areas is timing everything? Nick shared some things that are really, um, some things I couldn't share. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but so timing is everything. So I, I thought about it, some things. You know, you think about the stock, stock market. Timing is everything. You could either make a lot of money or you could lose a lot of money in a matter of seconds. I think of a joke. A joke can be really funny, <laughs> told at the right time, or it can be really inappropriate. It also depends on who you're around. And I think about, this is the thing that get, this irks me the most, the thing that I'm like, man, it's the one thing that makes me so frustrated, this, is when I'm, when I'm driving, and I looked at the gas prices today as I was, um, as I was driving here from Wyoming, and I was driving past the, the uh, Speedway, which is on 36th Street in Burlingame. Anyone know where that one is? If you don't know, you need to know because it's always the cheapest prices in town, guaranteed. I'll bet money on it. No, this one's better. So I looked. On the way here, it was 198. And I, and I, and I thought to myself, man, it's under two bucks. I probably should get gas right now. Because I know, because I know and I know it happens every time. I go by and I say, I should probably get gas. And I'm going to drive home later tonight. And it's going to be like 250. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. So I want you to keep that thought, that idea of timing is everything. Keep it in your mind as we go, and we'll come back to it. So we're in a series right now um, about loving our neighbors. Who is our neighbor? In the first week, I spoke about how we need to love the inconvenient. Last week, Randy Don spoke about uh, how we need to love the lost, living from the inside out. I was, I was thinking, maybe I should like, make a bunch of sound effects when I'm preaching like Randy, but then I was like, I don't have that much energy. 
and I'm not Italian, so. So, and then this week, we're going to bring what I believe is, is I had something different planned, but then I believe God actually um, redirected the direction of this message to be loving our families. Because um, originally, I'd entitled it, um, who is our neighbor? It was going to be loving the inconvenient, loving the lost, and loving your enemy. But I really believe that God shifted it towards this, and I believe it's going to be very applicable. It's going to be very practical for all of us today, and I'm really excited to bring this word. Um, (laughs) It's funny, though, as I was thinking about loving our families, how many of you know that sometimes our families can be our biggest enemies? Can't they? Sometimes our families are the ones who hurt us the most. It's our closest family members, the ones who we let in are the ones that can hurt us the most. The people, the people who are lost, the people who are inconvenient to love, they can't really hurt us because they don't owe us anything. But our family members, the people that we love, the people that we open up our heart to and we, and we let them have access to everything, those are the people that are most often our enemies. So we're still going to be talking about loving our enemies tonight, but it's going to be about loving our family members who sometimes can be our enemies. I want to read from Luke 6, 27 through 28. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those, isn't that up there? I'm sorry. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies. And we ta- I talked about it two weeks ago. If you love only the people that love you, big whoop. If you love only your own people, even terrorists do that. That's what set Christians apart, is that we love our enemies. And this idea of of relational reconciliation is so important that Jesus actually talks about it on the parable of the mount. He talks about it and he says, if you're at the altar giving your gift, and there remember that you have a dispute with someone else, Leave your offering at the altar, which is right here, the praise and worship. Leave it there. Go to that family member, that brother or sister, and be reconciled to them. Restore the relationship. And then, once you've restored that relationship, then come back and offer your gift. It's so important, this idea of reconciliation, having peace in relationships, it's so important to Jesus that he says it's even more important than your worship. So the title of the message tonight is Renovating Our Relationships or Renovating Relationships. And pardon me, I have uh, something going on in my throat tonight, so I'm going to have to drink a lot of water. Did you hear it? The swallow? I hate that when I'm like listening to a speaker, they take a drink, it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, that's gross. So renovating relationships. So I, I took this idea of renovating and, and what, is the, what is the definition of renovation or, or to renovate? It's to make changes and repairs to an old house, building, room, etc., so that it is back in good condition. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insert relationships. To make changes and repairs to relationships so that it is back in good condition. Conditions. So there's all these shows right now, right, which is all about renovating houses and flipping houses. So there's these shows like Property Brothers. Anyone? 
I see you, yeah. There's like flip or flop. There's uh, love it or list it. And my favorite, which brings me back to my childhood, with a man named Ty Pennington. <laughs> with the frosted tips. Extreme makeover, home edition. <laughs> Move that bus, that's right. My favorite renovating, so they take the idea is you take a house that's, that's damaged or maybe run down, and you, the first step is, what do you got to do when you renovate? You got to gut it. So you take all the stuff out, and then you empty it, and then you're able to rearrange it, reconstruct it, redesign it in order to make it in good condition. So when we're renovating relationships, we're taking something that's broken. I want you to imagine a house that's run down, maybe a lot of cat pee on the floor, and there's a lot of trash, and it's stinky. Can you imagine a house like that? Now I want you to try to associate that with a relationship that you have in your family. Do you have one? A relationship that's stinky, a relationship that's broken, a relationship that you really wish you just didn't have, but they're your family, so you have to have it. You know, I was really nervous um, to actually bring this message because I know it touches so many people and I, and I, was, and I'm, I was fearful almost of, of saying the wrong things. So I want you to take this message and say, I'm not trying to attack anyone. I'm not trying to say your, your, your conflicts aren't real. I'm not trying to say that, that your, your relational conflicts are nothing. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that there's a way that we can live free from the control of the conflict. And what I'm gonna do is we're gonna go through a story, the story of Jacob and Esau, and, and it's gonna give a beautiful depiction of, of relational reconciliation or the renovating of a relationship. But to proceed it, it's important to know that it took 20 years. It took 20 years, so let's dive in. I'm gonna go really quick through the, through the uh, beginning of their relationship, the beginning of their conflict. I'm going to fly through it, so hold on tight because I really want to get to the end. Did you hear that one? I tried to do that one. So I want to give you the context of their conflict. So first off, Jacob and Esau, they're the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac is the son of Abraham who God said, I'm going to bless you forever. So they're kind of a big deal in, in, in the Bible. So Jacob and Esau, they're twins, and they're in the, mother of the, in the womb of the mother. And they're fighting already, so she's pregnant. You can imagine twins, she's like this big. And the, and it says they're, they're fighting already in the womb. They're, they're clashing, they're wrestling in the womb. So the, early on, they have conflict, even before they have their consciousness. And so they're continuing, and then they get born. And then even when they're born, Jacob is grabbing the heel of Esau, and he's holding on tight because he wants to be first conflict. And then they grow up. And Esau is a man who's a hunter. He's like the rugged guy. He's like all about manly things. And you have Jacob, who's more of like the sentimental guy who likes to hang out in the tent with his mom. So you have these two guys who are totally opposite and they have, they have conflicting interests. And then you have Isaac, who prefers Esau. And you have Rebecca, who's the mom, who prefers Jacob. So you have parental conflict. So their whole life is revolved around conflict. They don't like each other. They don't have any similar interests. Can anyone relate with a sibling? And they go, and they have conflict, conflict, conflict. 
And in those days, the firstborn is really important because they get the double inheritance because they're the firstborn. They get the blessing of the family. It's a big deal to be firstborn. So Jacob wanted to be firstborn, but Esau was firstborn, so there's conflict there. Conflict, conflict, conflict. They didn't like each other. So they grow up, they grow up, and they're differing in their, in their interests. And, and then one day, Esau's out hunting, and he, he's gone for days, and he comes back, and he's just tired, and he's thirsty, and he's hungry, and he feels like he's going to die. And he comes to Jacob, and he says, make me something to eat. And then Jacob says, I'll make you something if you give me your birthright. And what that meant was, give me your inheritance. And then Esau was like, I don't care, I'm going to die. Yeah, I'll give you my birthright. So he gives him his birthright. Jacob makes him a meal. And now Jacob has a double inheritance. And next, maybe sometime I'll do a message on how you should never give up what you want for your future for what you want in the moment. Never give up something that you want for your future for something that's so temporary. Maybe I'll talk about that in the future. But anyways, they keep going. And then later on, it says when Esau is 40 years old, He's 40 years old. Isaac is old. He's blind. He's about to die. So Isaac's kind of out of it. He can't see. He's, he's old. And so he, he calls Isaac in. He says, or he calls Esau in and says, hey, I'm about to die. I want to give you my blessing. And what the blessing was, was the blessing that God gave to Abraham. And then Abraham gave that blessing to Isaac. And Isaac wanted to give it to Esau. And he said, Esau, I want to give you my blessing. And then Rebekah, their mom, overheard it and said, Jacob, you need to sneak in there, pretend like you're Esau, and you need to steal the blessing. Excuse me. So Jacob, in a long story, there's a lot of details. If you want to read it, it's in like Genesis 25 to 33. You should read his great story. And it's a great character, Jacob. I like him. So he gets through here and then he goes and he tricks Isaac into giving him his blessing. So not only did Jacob steal his birthright, but Jacob also stole his blessing. And Esau was furious. Furious. He's so mad. Remember, they're not like little boys. The Bible, like sometimes we like to depict them as young boys. They're like grown men. They're in their 40s. So he's so mad. Bless you. He's so mad that he says, I'm going to kill Jacob. He's going to kill him. Like in a legitimate sense, not like in a sense like your little brother or sister is going, I'm going to kill you. It's in a sense that like, no, I'm legitimately going to kill you. So Jacob hears that his brother's going to kill him. So he runs away. Interesting. I want you to take note of that. The first sign of conflict, he runs away. So he runs over to the land of Laban, which is his uncle. And there, he's there for 20 years. He's running away from this conflict. 20 years he's gone from this family member. 20 years, this thing inside of him is just burning inside of him that he hasn't dealt with. This hidden issue. This conflict that he can't resolve. So he's gone for 20 years. He builds his family, builds up wealth, is very successful, keeps himself busy for 20 years. But then one day, God tells him, go home. And when he tells him that, he kind of has a panic mode, like, man, that thing that I've been ignoring, the thing, the, the, the thing I've been, been ignoring for 20 years is finally staring me in the face. I have to go home. I have to go home. 
So then if you, so then if you look in, in Genesis 32, there's a big title, okay? It's like, the, it's, you know, like the bold letters in your Bible, you know what I'm talking about? It's like the title of the little section. It says, Jacob prepares to meet Esau. He prepares. Before we go into that, it's important to know that both parties here were at fault. Both parties had a part to play in the conflict. It wasn't just Jacob because he was deceitful. Esau was the one who said he was going to kill him. <laughs> Esau was the one who, it's in the details, he was the one who was marrying foreign women when he wasn't supposed to. Esau was the one who was hard-headed. Esau was the one. I mean, so they both had a part to play. So Jacob prepares to meet Esau. And it reminded me of a time in my life when, um, I'm going to preface that. Um, Abby, who's my wife, she's wonderful, beautiful. Woman of God who puts up with me. Um, her family has some, some conflict. Not her immediate family, but her, um, one of her grandma and grandpa, there's some conflict where they, they just don't get along very well with their whole immediate family. And, and um, it's really sad. And they didn't talk for a couple years. But then a year and a half, was it a year and a half ago? A year and a half ago, God put it on Abby's heart to go and, and see her, her grandparents, her grandma specifically. And I felt like this. Like, I'd never met them. We'd been dating for three years. I'd never met her grandparents. And I felt, and I'm sure she felt like this, where it's like bold letters, Jake and Abby, prepare <laughs> to meet the grandparents. It's very unsettling to, to, to go face-to-face -face with someone that you've been ignoring. It's very unsettling. It's very fearful to address an issue that, is, that has been stirring inside of you, that you've been suppressing, that you've been, that you've been keeping under control for so long by business, by wealth, by money, by friends, by relationships. You've been keeping it under control with all this material possessions and material and temporal things that you ignore it, but sooner or later, you have to meet the person, sooner or later. So, Jacob prepares to meet Esau. Genesis 32, four through five. Here we go. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to give a message to Esau. Your servant, Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. So Jacob sends these messengers over to, to Esau to try, to try to get on his good side before he meets him face to face. So then he continues, verse 20. So Genesis 32, 20. For he thought, this is... This is well, this is where we're going to focus and I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Verse 21. So Jacob's gifts went, ahead of, went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp, which brings up something I want to talk about. We cannot, we cannot have peace with what we're willing to pacify. So Jacob, instead of going out and meeting Esau face to face, he sent a messenger ahead of him. And then he didn't want to go meet to face to face again. So he sends his wealth ahead of him, trying to pacify or trying to bypass the conflict. And I'm here to say a message. You will never have peace with what you're willing to pacify. Amen. 
We will never have peace with relationships until we stand face to face and we address the issues. And we're going to continue with this because it's not the whole part. There's so many pieces that play into this. But we, have, we, we cannot hide behind our wealth. We cannot hide behind text messages. We cannot hide behind phone calls. We cannot hide behind social media, putting up this facade that we're just doing okay. Because sooner or later, you're going to meet them face to face. And what are we going to do? So this story about, uh, of Jacob and Esau and their reconciliation is all about what I, what I see is four observations in this story. And, and I'm gonna lay them out for us tonight. Four observations of the story that I think we can, we can all learn from as it, as it relates to relational conflict with our families. Number one, reverse the renovation. Remember we talked about renovation, what does that mean? Reverse the renovation, it starts with me. Genesis 32, 22 through 24. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, don't get any ideas, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After, after he had sent them across the stream, he went over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This man is God. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob wrestled with himself. Here's the deal. Before we have that moment where we're going to meet them face to face, we have to get alone. We have to get alone and we have to deal with ourselves. Jacob sent all of his possessions away and he was alone and he wrestled with God. Sometimes it's good for us to wrestle with God. Sometimes it's good for us to stay up all night wrestling with an issue with God, not giving up until we have an answer. Sometimes it's good for us to do that and not just pacify the situation with busyness. Sometimes we have to dig down deep into the place that we've been hiding things for 20 years. We have to dig down. We have to, because if we don't, we will never have peace. So Jacob was alone, and he wrestled with God. He wrestled with the issues. He wrestled with God. This is what I wrote, and I wanted to read it verbatim. Sometimes the conflict we have with other people is caused by an insecurity within ourselves. So he placed the blame on someone because they may have touched that insecurity within me. So instead of dealing with the insecurity I have, I placed the blame on the person who touched the insecurity. Who's in the wrong? The person who touched the insecurity or the person who has the insecurity? Well, if, what, what if we dealt with our insecurities instead of dealing with the people? Because if we only deal with people, then there will come a point when someone else will touch that insecurity and you will be in the exact same place. The biggest issues we have are not with other people. The biggest, biggest issues we have are within ourselves. The only enemy I need to deal with is the enemy within me. It starts with me. What role do I play? Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on who? You. Live at peace with everyone. Renovation starts with me.
It takes one to forgive, two to reconcile. Forgiveness takes place within the individual. Reconciliation takes place between the two individuals. You do not need, or let me put, put it this way. Forgiveness is the first step to reconciliation. We cannot wait for the meeting to forgive the person. We even, and I'm not trying to discount, I'm not trying to play down the, the conflict or the issues or the pains and the hurts that someone else has caused you. I'm not trying to downplay them. What I'm trying to say is forgiveness is a big issue. Forgiveness is huge. Because Jesus, Jesus forgave us, guys. I mean, it says in the Bible clearly, and Jesus says it over again, if you can't forgive others, how can Christ forgive forgive you and it talks about in the parable of the rich man who or the man who owed millions of dollars and he got freed from the debt and then he went to his servant that owed him a hundred dollars and he was had him thrown in jail and the the king heard about it and he said how could you i've forgiven you so much how could you not forgive the person who only owed you a hundred dollars and i forgive you of millions and jesus says that's what the kingdom of god is like we have to realize how much we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We love because Christ loved us first. We give because God is the most generous person ever. And we forgive because Christ forgave us. I'll tell you, <laughs> forgiveness is not this if anyone has little kids around them. Forgiveness is not this. You did, say you're sorry. Okay, now tell him you forgive him. Okay, now you're good. Okay, no, forgiveness, <laughs> forgiveness takes place in here. Because that little kid, he didn't forgive him. He just said it. Forgiveness takes place within me. It starts with me. It, it, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's not them. They might have done something horrendous. They might have done something that they were in the wrong. They might have been in the wrong totally. You did nothing wrong. But here's the deal. How many of you know you can look back at your past, you can look back at the situation, and it still has a grip on you. It still has a grip on me. Because we're revisiting that issue apart from the blood of Jesus. We need to look back and say, you know what? God forgave me. I can forgive them. It doesn't justify what they did. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it okay. But it releases me of the, of the, of the chains that unforgiveness holds. Amen. So forgiveness starts with me. <laughs> I take that back. Forgiveness does not start with me. Forgiveness starts with Jesus. Man, think about this. Like I said, reconcil- or forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness is all within you. You We shouldn't have to wait for someone to ask for forgiveness. We need to deal with it before. Think about Jesus. Man, he paid for our forgiveness. He paid for it all. He paid for us. He's forgiven us. But how how many of us know that there are so many people who are not in reconciliation with God? Forgiveness takes one. Jesus has forgiven the whole world, but he's waiting for those who will respond to him. And then those people, he says, I am reconciled to you. Those people, the ones who respond. So forgiveness is with one. 
reconciliation with two. Jacob had to deal with himself. He had to wrestle with God. He had to get his own issues out of the way before he was going to meet with Esau, which is my second observation. Rename the renovation. Find your true identity. Genesis 32, 27 through 28. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Throw up that next point. We cannot make peace with the same name in which we caused the conflict. Let me explain. Jacob, if you look back, what did he always do when he faced conflict? He ran, he ran, he ran, he ran, he ran. And then he had conflict, he was gonna meet Esau. So then what did he do? He sent messengers. He maybe, he maybe was like, yeah, I gotta send him a text message. I don't want him to be mad. So I'm gonna send him. Maybe, a, maybe an instant message, maybe, maybe a Facebook message. He sent these messages ahead of him to try to, to make, it, make it more peaceful. So he sent these messages. And then later, he sent these gifts ahead of him. He said, maybe I'll send these gifts and then maybe he'll, he'll, maybe he'll just think I'm so great because I'm so rich and maybe he'll forgive me. He's pacifying. So God had to deal with his old self. He had to deal with his old way because that's the, that's, the that's the way he got him in trouble in the first place was that way of thinking. So God had to give him a new name in which to identify his conflict from. He had to get a new name in which to see his brother from. He could not address the issue the same way in which he caused it. So a lot of times we have conflict and then we come and try to resolve it in the same way that we caused it. And it's never going to work. We have to, we have to rise above. We have to step above. We have to look at it from a new perspective, get a new name, get a new identity so we can address the issues with clarity. Because if you address the issues with pain attached Good luck. If you carry your past into the peacemaking, we'll never have peace. We'll never have peace. We have to have a new name. We have to have a new operating system. We have to identify our problems differently than when the way we did before. Are you following? So Jacob had to get a new name. Jacob had to get a new name. He had to get a new identity to relate from. So we cannot tackle different issues with the same mentality and expect different results. It's called insanity. Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. So getting a new name, getting a new identity, finding out your true identity in Christ, that's the trick for, for relational reconciliation. I want to tell you a story about my mom. So my mom grew up, she, um, anyone here know my mom? Yeah, she's an awesome woman, isn't she? I love my mama. If you're listening, mom, I love you. So she grew up, her parents got divorced when she was like, in her, in her younger years, I don't know the exact date, so her parents got divorced and her dad was, her dad was kind of non-existent in their life, so he, she grew up with just her mom and her siblings. And um, a lot of pain she grew up with, dealing with that. Her, her dad was non-existent and and then she got saved when she was in her, in her late teens, early 20s, and, and she wanted to make things right with her dad, with my grandpa. She wanted to make things right, but he suffered. He was mentally ill. He had some bipolar. Um, he struggled with bipolar. And, um, but she said, I have, to be, I have to be able to, I need to reconcile, I need to restore, I need to renovate this relationship. So she sat in her room, 
And she says that she, she sat in a room and she prayed to God and she said, God, I cannot do this without knowing that you are my father. It's one thing to, it's one thing to sing, God, you're a good, good father. It's one thing to sing it. That's a whole other thing to know it. So she sat in her room and she said, God, I'm not leaving this room until I know you as my father. Because I can't deal with my dad unless I know that you're my father because he's never a father to me. So I need to know that you're my father so I can be secure in myself and I know my identity so that I can work on restoring that relationship. She had, to, she had to find out her identity before she could ever deal with the conflict. And I'll, talk, I'll talk about the ending of that story later on. I'm going to move on to my next point. Third observation. Renovate with a different response. Live from your new identity. Genesis 33, one through four. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front of Leah and her next children and children next. And Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Whoa, excuse me. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Man, something changed with Jacob. The thing that he was so worried about, the meeting that he was so worried about, the meeting that he, he thought he was going to die. But there was something different about how he approached it. He, he, he approached the conflict from a different situation. If you remember, in the past, all he did was send messages and he sent gifts and he ran away. And this time he said, family, get behind me. He said, get behind me, family. He said, I'm going out ahead. I'm gonna deal with the issue. I'm gonna hit it face on. And you know what? I'm not gonna go out there like this. Look at me. He said, he went, like, he went like this. He bowed down. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I admit my mistakes. I admit that I had a part to play. I admit my mistakes. Until we have humility, until we address our issues, we'll never have resolution with the issues we have with others starts with me. Forgiveness first. Find our new identity. Live from that new identity of humility. Live from that place that says, you know what, God, I know you're my father. Live from that place. Go in, we need to go in our rooms and say, God, I'm not leaving until you tell me who I am. Right. Not sing about who we are because those are just songs. Songs are awesome, but we need to know. We need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, so we have a new operating system, a new perspective to view our conflict from. Man, it just changes. When we start doing this, it changes the way we look at people. It changes things. It changes the way that we see other people. We actually start to have a heart for them. We actually have a, start to hurt for them because one of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible, and I love it, it's, my, it's one of my favorite verses, and I know they say that about a lot of them because it's true, I love the Bible. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, think about it, man. They beat him. He says he was unrecognizable. He was suffering. These people, the people who were supposed to be his friends, were running away. The people were stabbing and mocking and ridiculing him. He says, Father, they, Father, they don't know what they're doing. He says, God, if they only knew you, God, if they only knew the truth, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. 
So when we have conflict, when we have people who do us wrong, we need to have a perspective that says, God, if they knew you, they would never do that. God, if they knew you, they would never say that to me. God, if they knew you, they would never do that to me. So God, I pray, my heart breaks for them that they would know you. Do you see the difference between that and being hurt by them? There's such a difference. There's such a freedom. There's such a liberation. There's such a, it's such a relationship. It's such a place of peace that we live within ourselves and it's so attractive to other people and so they say, I want it. Because the people are hurting inside and then when they see peace, it's so attractive because we, they don't have it. So we can live in a way that's so peaceful, that's so, that's so in tune with our identity in Christ that when people hurt us, we can actually hurt for them instead of being hurt by them. I'm not, I'm not, and once again, I'm going to reiterate, I'm not discounting. I'm not saying what people do is right. I'm not justifying what they did. I know people do horrific things. I know people can sometimes do very evil things, very demonic things. I'm not justifying it. I'm saying is Christ forgave us. And if he can forgive us, if we can get that in our minds and find out how he thinks of us, I think we can start forgiving. And if we can start forgiving we can start living a life that's available for reconciliation because forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. Which brings me to my last point, my last observation of the story of Jacob and Esau. Timing is everything. Remember in the beginning, timing is everything. Genesis 31 verse three. Then the Lord said to Jacob, this is going back before it ever happened, before, everything, before the whole conflict, before the whole resolution, before the meeting. The Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Can you throw up that next point? You can have the right heart at the wrong time. Timing is everything. Because if Jacob would have, would have went back at five years, after five years of being gone, who knows what would have happened? If you'd have went back after 10 years, who knows what would have happened? If you'd have went back after 19 years, who knows what would have happened? But he went back when God told him to go back. You can have all these things, and this is not a formula. This is not a, hey, if you do this, all your relationships are going to be grand. No, it's not that at all. This is, this is in op some observations. This is an historical account that we can learn from. Timing is everything. You can have the right heart at the wrong time. That's why we need relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we need relationship with him, to be in tune with him, so that when he tells us to go, we go. When he tells us to wait, we wait because you can have forgiveness in your heart and still not be reconciled and you're totally okay. But the Bible clearly identifies, it clearly states that we as Christians are agents of reconciliation. We are agents of renovation. We have a ministry of reconciliation in our lives, meaning restoring relationships horizontally and vertically. We want to bring them in to restore our relationship. Then we want to bring them in to restore this relationship. Timing is everything, but it starts with me. Turn to your neighbor and say, it starts with me. Starts with me. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If a fellow believer hurts you, Go and tell him, work it out between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've made a good friend. If he won't listen, 
wrong timing, take one or two brothers along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with a need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. Reconciliation might take one time, might take two tries, might take three tries, might take four tries, might take 20 years but we never quit and we always offer God's forgiving love. Right timing. Don't lose hope. Sometimes we can do all the right things, but it doesn't happen. So once we deal with ourselves, once we deal with me, we pray for the other party, not out of selfish motives, but out of love and compassion, out of hope and joy. I'm going to show you the ending of both stories that I shared between Abby's family and my mother's um, father, my grandpa. Um, we're still in the process of the reconciliation with the family. It's not perfect, but it's the process. And we are constantly checking ourselves. We're constantly, not every day, but almost every day, praying for them, praying for them, praying for them, not out of selfish ambition, but out of a heart that they would just come to know the true heart of God, that, they, that we could be reconciled with them, that we could have a relationship again. We're still in the process, but we have hope and we have joy. We have compassion. My mom's dad, my grandpa, he eventually, it got better, but it was never, it was never great. I never had a real relationship with my grandpa. It was, he never came to any of my games. He never, he never visited us. He never called us. We, we, I saw him a couple times a year. It was, it, it's not like this like textbook, like, oh yeah, she found her new identity, so then everything worked out fine. No, it was a lot of work. Renovation is a lot of work. Restoring a house, a lot of work. Renovating relationships, it's a lot of work in here. It's a lot of work relating to God. Not all stories are happy endings, but we still have hope. We still have hope. Starts with me. We deal with ourselves. We find our new identity, and we live from that new identity with our relationships. We live with a new set of eyes. We live so different from the world. We have to. We have to live so different from the world because it's what Christ has called us to do. This is, um, I'm, I'm gonna end here. Um, I, I, was, I was having a conversation in my mind whether or not to do this, but I, I feel like I'm gonna give it a try. It could, it could be a flop, but it's okay, I'll take a risk. Um, if, you, if you're here and you have some relational conflict of some sort with a family member, I just want you to raise your hand and be honest. Well, be honest, if you have relational conflict, I want you to look around the room. Man, look how many people. Man, you're not alone. We need to stop hiding these things. We need to stop like, pretending like we're the only one going through them. And we don't need to compare our stories with each other. It's not about who's got the worst story. No, it's about encouraging each other. Amen. Dude, we're all, we're, you guys, we're all in this together. Like, you're not alone. You're not alone in your issues. So don't suppress them. Don't hide them. Talk about them. Talk to someone that you trust about them. And what I want to do is I want to pray over everyone here. And I'm going to pray a declaration of reconciliation 
over everyone. And I believe tonight is a tipping point. I believe tonight things are going to start changing. Maybe not externally, but maybe internally. Where we start dealing with ourselves and stop worrying about other people. Stop. When we go to church, a lot of times I find myself doing is we always think, man, I wish somebody else would be here to hear this. Man. How about we start looking here? How about we start looking here? And I'm going to pray a declaration of reconciliation. So if you all just bow your heads and if you want to lift your hands and, and, and agree with me, I would love for that. If, you, if you're in here and you would like to agree for reconciliation, God, I pray and I declare in the name of Jesus, the great reconciler, that we have reconciliation in this room right now. And God, that we are agents of reconciliation, that we are a people who forgive. We are a people who look within. We are a people who are humble. We are a people who know our identities. And I pray identity over every single person in this room that right now, Holy Spirit, you are actually teaching and showing and revealing your heart towards each person in this room right now. And Jesus, reconciliation would start tipping point right now. The ball would start, the ball would start rolling that our reconciliation, renovation, repair would start in the name of Jesus and the relationships in this room. And God, I pray it in the name of Jesus and we believe in faith, not because of our own actions, but because of what you did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.